Good morning. Today's reading is from chapter 32, 24 through to chapter 33, verse 17. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was leaping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his four hundred men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maid servants. He put the maid servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and he wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maid servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. And last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favour in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favour in your eyes, accept this gift from me. But to see your face is like seeing the face of God. And now that you have received me favourably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, Let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of this servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves, because me and that of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, Then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favour in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went on to Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. This is why the place is called Sukkoth. Thanks, Neville. Here at Gossip PC we believe that the Bible is God's word and... Because of that, uh, we need his help to understand it. So I'm going to pray now that that would be the case for us. 
Gracious Father, thank you for the book of Genesis, part of your word to us. Thank you for what it tells of us of your dealings with your ancient people, uh, particularly with Jacob. And we ask now that you would help us to see not only what it, uh, you were doing there in that place with Jacob, but also how it might speak to us and how it might help us to know how best to relate to you and others as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, I know someone who went into hospital for a moderately serious issue on one occasion, uh, but in the process of having other tests, uh, he was found to have a really serious condition, uh, something that needed prompt and risky surgery. Uh, Alarmed by this, uh, at the thought of possibly dying, he scrambled to uh, talk to people in his family uh, that he felt that there were unresolved issues with, uh, things that had put a wedge between them uh, because he was hoping to reconcile uh, with them before he died. Now, of all the things that bothered him, of all the unresolved kind of issues in his life, it was unreconciled relationships that most troubled him. And I, and I suspect that might be the case for many of us. After all, we can't take anything with us when we die. Uh, but almost everyone thinks someone with us is better than no one with us as we die. And so by extension, of all the things that we'll be regretting on our deathbed, uh, it'll be those unreconciled and broken relationships. Those someones who who are not with us in spirit, let alone in body. And if we've got broken relationships in our life, maybe the reason that we haven't gone there to, to do anything about them, to, to fix them in some way, is because we're afraid, because of fear. Fear of what they'll think of us, fear of what they'll say to us, fear of what they'll do to us, fear of what others will think of us and as they find out about us and as we uh, confess to the things that we've done and said that we're sorry for. Uh, My friend, he had an opportunity to make uh, up with people, but for whatever reason, uh, in our final hours, we may not. We'll just add regret onto a regret and die curdling in our own stew. Now, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Which is why this passage today is just so important and such a breath of fresh air in this world that's just stale with regrets and death. Because it firstly tells us of reconciliation with God, the goodness of that, and then secondly, how that leads to reconciling with others. So, first, reconciliation with God. Up to this point in the story of Genesis, we've followed God's promises to the guy named Abraham uh, and seen them fulfilled through his son, Abraham's son Isaac, and then through Isaac's son Jacob. But it's been a rocky rocky ride. Jacob and his brother have been fighting even before they were born. Uh, We read this earlier in Genesis uh, where we're told uh, the babies jostled each other together uh, within her, that is within their mother, Rebecca, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Uh, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. Uh, One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So, uh, God said that Esau, he's the oldest (laughs) when they're born, he will serve Jacob, the youngest. But, uh, Rebecca schemes with Jacob later on to 
kind of make sure that this happens. Uh, Jacob dresses up like his brother. Uh, he cons his blind father, Isaac, to bless him with the family blessing instead of Esau, which Isaac intended. And uh, not surprisingly, uh, Esau, when he finds out, he's filthy mad. Uh, he wants Jacob dead. And in fear of his life, Jacob uh, nicks off to his uncle's place, miles and miles away. But all this time, uh, he doesn't really seem to know or care for God much. Uh, but nonetheless, God's with him. God cares for him, even though he gets done over by his uncle uh, more than once. Nonetheless, God blesses him with uh, uh, wives and many children and lots and lots of wealth and possessions. And over time, it seems that Jacob, uh, through this, is coming to his own faith, which comes to a head when God tells him to take his household and his possessions and to go back home, to go back to the promised land, the land that God promised him where where Isaac, his father, was, but also where Esau is. And so, as he obeys and looks to go back to the promised land, uh, God becomes more than just the God of his father. He becomes his God. He becomes the God of Israel. As we saw at the end of uh, chapter 32 last week, and we read earlier again. Now, uh, I know that we've touched on this passage, but I don't, I don't know if you've ever had a, uh, a deep-fried Mars bar. Um, I hope you have. Uh, you might think it sounds disgusting. It might look disgusting to you. Uh, but then you take one bite into it, and that's it, right? And you can't, you can't think that it can get any better until you take another bite. And then another. And each bite, it just gets better. Deep-fried Mars bars. They're awesome. Well, this bit at the end of, the, of chapter 32, where Jacob wrestles God, is, it's a little bit like a deep-fried Mars bar. Uh, with each subsequent bite, you think it can't get any better. And then the warm, dribbly, sweet, crunchy, salty goodness of it pours into your mind again. Last week, we bit a little bit off and saw how it anticipated the life of faith, that walking with God is to limp along with the struggles in life, struggles that at the very least God has allowed in our life so that we might cling to him. But I think it's also it also gives us a, a picture of what reconciliation with God looks like. So, we read it earlier, but I just love the story. So Jacob's all alone in the dark. Uh, he's on the edge of the promised land, probably fretting about seeing his uh, grumpy brother the next day. And a man, who we come to know as God, comes and wrestles him, kind of just crash tackles him. It's crazy. I, I love the picture. Uh, all dust and grunts, God and man, uh, until finally God puts Jacob's hip out and uh, so that he'd let him go. But like a bull mastiff latched onto a lion, uh, J- Jacob just clings to him, grasp, uh, gasping, I'm sure, after wrestling the whole night. I won't let you go unless you bless me. <sighs> uh, <coughs> and the man asks, what's your name? Jacob, he answers. Now, the brevity of the language here hides, I think, just how how deep and rich this is. Uh, God asks Jacob his name. Uh, because he, what does he, of course he knows his name. He knows what his name is. So he's, it's not like he doesn't already know. So, and Jacob must pick up on that. So when he answers, he's not just giving him his name. He's making a confession. See, from the day of his birth... Jacob's name has been linked to deception. He's the one who grasped on the heel of his brother as they came out of the womb. He's the heel. 
He's the trickster. He's the overreacher. He's the supplanter. And he's here owning it. He's admitting who he is. I'm Jacob. Guilty. As named. That he's grasped and snatched his way through life at the expense of others. And so he knows... He knows he doesn't deserve God's blessing. He knows it's not his by right, only by God's promise. And so he's desperate for God to keep his word. And he won't let go until God keeps his word. But in this struggle with God, something shifts in Jacob. He changes. And it's such a significant change that God renames him. Verse 28, we read, The man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob. But Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Israel, such a cool name. It means struggle with God. A name that will capture the general direction of Jacob's life from here on in. No longer Jacob, the trickster and the overreacher, but Israel, the one who struggles with God, clings to him and strives after him and overcomes in the face of impossible odds. A struggle that speaks to a a growing relationship with God. But what he does and what he, as Jacob kind of reconciles with who he is before God, right? And as this happens, as Jacob reconciles with who he is before God, he comes to realise what he does and doesn't deserve from God. As he names uh, the place of struggle, verse 30, he says, Jacob called the place Peniel, and that means face of God, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Having seen God, Jacob knows he doesn't deserve to live, let alone get God's blessings. Nonetheless, he accepts that By God's grace, God is his God, that he's reconciled to him and that he's giving him new life. But there's a broken beauty in this reconciliation, a new life, this reconciled life, new life, and it's a new limp. He's God's man by his limp. He's been humbled, right? And it's in this, paradoxically, where we there's actually more blessing in his weakness He's now stronger because it's a weakness that grows him up in the way that he relates to God. It's interesting to see Jacob's prayers develop throughout this episode. You may have picked it up. They started off with, you know, save me from Esau and then to give me your blessing to finally, what's his final prayer? Tell me your name. Jacob starts praying out of fear of Esau and ends wanting to know God more. And in this, I reckon Jacob gives us a window into what it looks like, what it looks like wonderfully to reconcile with God as he turns from living out of fear to living out of faith. There's a uh, social psychological theory called terror management theory, or TMT for short. Uh, According to this theory, the fear of death underlies most of our fears. Uh, like the fear of heights, spiders, snakes and blood, because they're all associated with death. Uh, one way this theory has been tested is to <laughs> they've taken a whole bunch of people with anxiety disorders, various anxiety disorders, uh, and got them to think about their own death 
and write down how that made them felt, how they felt about it, and uh, what they thought would happen after they die, uh, or once they were dead, and then send them into the situations that caused them normal anxieties. And what they found was that those with spider phobias had increased reactions to spiders. They couldn't even look at pictures of spiders after contemplating death. Uh, and compulsive hand washers ended up using, you know, a bucket's load more paper towels. And those with social phobias, they took longer to join in social interactions because they viewed happy, even happy and angry faces as more socially threatening than before. Now I reckon there's something in this. That the fear of death underlies all our other fears. Jacob's fear of Esau was directly linked to his fear of death, right? Relieved only by being reconciled to God. And elsewhere, the Bible says that death is our enemy and that Jesus died to free those who all their lives were held in slavery to the fear or their fear of death. So, if you feel this morning like you're all alone, in the dark, maybe worrying about what tomorrow will bring, a worry that, consciously or not, stems from the fear of death, and there in that space you feel assaulted by God, attacked by him like he's tripping you up with all that he's allowing in life to throw at you. If that's you, it might be God's allowing it so that you see there's nothing and no one in this life worth clinging to, including yourself and your own strengths, nothing and no one who can save you from your fears, nothing and no one who can save you from the fear of death, let alone save you from death itself. Nothing and no one except God, so that you cling to him, so that you come to see this reality, that only he can save you and cling to him, and cling to his promises alone. Please, if that's you, at this moment even, cling to God. Cling to his promises alone. Because it's as you do this, you might be able to hear him ask you something really important. Maybe he's even asking of you now. What's your name? Who are you? So tell him. Confess. Confess to him. Tell him that you're like Jacob. That you're broken, that you're bad, that you're unworthy. Own who you are and tell God. Because as you do, you can know God blessing you. In that weakness, you will know an incredible strength. Scripture says elsewhere, If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, his righteous life sacrificed to atone for our unrighteousness and our sin. This is God's promised yes to ask, asking him to forgive us, owning who we are and asking him to forgive us. It's God's yes to anyone, including Jacob. But more than Jacob was allowed to know at the time, Jesus is also God's okay to us asking him to know him more. Uh, the Apostle Paul, his first prayer 
for believers. It's fantastic in Ephesians you read it. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. See, as those who have owned our sin, owned who we are before God, accepted God's forgiveness and have been reconciled to him through Jesus, this is what we should be asking God for as we cling to him, to know him more. To know the hope of his glorious inheritance, which is actually knowing him now and forever through Jesus. This is our glorious inheritance. This is our greatest blessing. And with this blessing, God changes what we're on about, as he did with Jacob. He moves us from focusing on ourselves to focusing on him. We're no longer Jacob. We're Israel. Focusing on God from from asking for salvation to wanting to know who he is. From living out of fear to living out of faith. Out of being reconciled to him in Jesus. Which brings us to the second point. Uh, being reconciled to God means reconciling with others. As we see, Jacob hurdle fear to get to forgiveness. Uh, Jacob was afraid of his brother, uh, and understandably, for his life, but now, having wrestled and reconciled with God, he desires forgiveness and reconciliation with Esau more than even saving his own life. So we read earlier on in chapter 33, Jacob looked up and there saw Esau. There was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and his children next, and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Jacob sees Esau with his 400 men off in the distance, but unlike when he heard the first time of Esau coming with his 400 men, he doesn't freak out, doesn't go into damage control, he doesn't beg God to save him from Esau. There's less panic here, it's more resolved. I mean, he's cautious, he arranges his household to meet Esau in a way that best protects his family, but he doesn't seem to be freaking out. He's not scrambling to save himself. Quite the opposite, he goes ahead of everyone else to meet Esau first. And as he comes to him, he comes humbly, he bows over and over again. Uh, In the ancient Near East, it was often a custom that a servant would bow seven times before their master. So that's significant here, right? God's said that Jacob is to rule over his brothers, but he knows he screwed things up with his brother, and so he doesn't have the he doesn't stand on his rights. He, j- he comes humbly, limping, with his head down low, hoping for forgiveness, and he gets it right. It's beautiful. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him, and they wept. What a relief. Esau then comments on the extravagant uh, gifts of hundreds of goats and sheep and camels that Jacob had sent ahead of him 
as a gift to uh, Esau. And verse 5, Esau says, what's the meaning of all those? Uh, these, these flocks and herds that I met. Uh, to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, Jacob said. Jacob wants Esau's favour. He wants his grace. He wants his forgiveness. And he links this to the grace of God that he's just experienced with him. Uh, verse 9, but Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, no, please, says Jacob. If I have found favour in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favourably. Please accept this the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Jacob equates seeing Esau not angry at him uh, and seeking his life, but accepting him and forgiving him, that, that is like seeing the face of God, which earlier, he says, should have killed him. But by God's grace, uh, God didn't kill him. He allowed him to live. And here, Jacob makes the link between God and Esau that as he's known grace with God, he wants to know grace with Esau and, and clings to him in a sense, like he did to God to get it. He insists that Esau take his gift to confirm his forgiveness and his reconciliation until he does. And then he carefully avoids letting Esau take advantage of him uh, in that good, weak, vulnerable position. Uh, and even if Esau's unwittingly uh, <laughs> might take advantage of him, nonetheless Jacob sidesteps Esau's offer to go with him or even leave some of his men with him, saying to Esau, verse 15, again, just let me find favour in the eyes of my Lord. Just, let's just be reconciled. And so Esau leaves, reconciled with Jacob. Jacob hurdles his fear of Esau and humbles himself before him, admits his great guilt in, his extra, in, his, in the extravagant extravagant gifts that he sent and he seeks forgiveness and reconciliation more than saving himself and importantly he links this what he's done here with Esau to his earlier reconciliation with God which is something I reckon that we really need to, t- need to take notice of after all Jesus says if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins your Father will not forgive your sins. And elsewhere we're told, whoever doesn't love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It seems to know God's love is to love one another. To know God's forgiveness is to seek forgiveness and forgive each other. To be reconciled to God is to seek reconciliation with each other. And to not do this is at best to misunderstand what it means to be reconciled to God or sadly to live in fear and not in faith and so not actually be reconciled to God at all. Because to be reconciled to God is to try and reconcile to others. Uh, A bit like this picture. The first thing you probably see is a man facing you, right? That's Wolverine, uh, the greatest character in the Marvel Universe, fun fact. But once I tell you it's also two Batmen, 
you won't be able to see, you not see both, right? They just go together, fused in your mind. Or it's like hearing Yanni and then Laurel and then Yanni again, if you know, you know. These things, they just go together. In the same way, being reconciled to God just goes with reconciling to others. As much as is within our power, of course. We can't force someone to forgive us. And reconciliation may not look like hanging around with each other at the end of it, like Jacob with Esau. But there's an awful lot that we can do to find favour in the eyes of those that we've wronged. Even if they started by hurting us first and we snapped back or gave them the silent treatment, we've wronged them. And as those reconciled to God, we, we should want to reconcile with them. And Jacob gives us a model of how. Be humble. Confess you're wrong. Let's confess our wrong to God and then to them. Ask for forgiveness and be persistent. Not a pest, but persevere in seeking forgiveness so that there's no doubt at least we're trying. And maybe make some meaningful, even extravagant gesture. Go out of your way to make it easy for them to forgive you and to smooth the way to reconciliation. I heard of someone recently sending a simple text message to another person who, uh, for whom things had been strained for years, just telling them that they were praying for them. And after years of silence, they sent uh, a kind message back. It's not an extravagant gesture, but it might be a meaningful one on the path to reconciliation. As those in Christ, I wonder where we're at in reconciling with those that we've hurt. Because being reconciled to God is to reconcile with others. Let's not wait until we're on our deathbed before we scramble to try and reconcile with those that we're at odds with. Let the magnificent defeat of Jesus over our hearts as we've yielded to him and owned our sin and sought God's forgiveness and known his forgiveness and the promise of knowing him more and more in Christ. Let that profound and wonderful forgiveness and reconciliation and fellowship with God Move us, move us to hurdle our fears to seek forgiveness and reconciliation with others. Particularly with those who are our brothers, our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And I'm going to pray to that end now. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, We thank and praise you that you are who you are and that you want our best and that you will wrestle us and even give us a limp so that we might have it. Clinging to you and to your promises of forgiveness and reconciliation and fellowship with you so that we might know you more and more and be blessed to know you more and more now and forever and made this this reality of being reconciled to you in and through the wonderful work of Jesus, our Saviour. Move us to hurdle our fears and to seek to reconcile with those that we are at odds with, that we have hurt, and to take steps as much as within our power. Modelled off Jacob to reconcile with them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.